Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. This is the Essential Geopolitics Podcast from RAIN. I'm Emily Donahue. For most of 2022, the world watched Russia's invasion of Ukraine, its early advances, Ukraine's determination, the intricate diplomatic dances, both Russia and Ukraine sought assistance for their efforts. In late October, Russia began leaving one of the cities it had captured early in the war, Kherson. Much has been made of Russia's withdrawal, Ukraine's advance, and how both affected the conflict. Today, Matthew Orr tells us about the implications of Russia's retreat. Matt, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Hey, Emily, I'm happy to be here. Without too many specifics, can we talk about Ukraine's return to Kherson, what it means for Kyiv and its ongoing efforts? Yeah, this is this is a really significant victory for Kyiv. Uh, th- this is something that they had been fighting for for several months, uh, and, and this was something that people had predicted for a long time. Uh, and once it started to unfold, it, it unfolded uh, r- rather quickly uh, because Russia was keen to get as many of its soldiers and as much of a, its equipment out uh, of Kherson as possible uh, because now a lot of the fighting uh, in, in the country is going to shift eastward um, and right both sides know that they, they need to now prepare for that. Uh, so for Ukraine, this is really significant because it shows how important Western weapons deliveries are, that Ukraine is able to effectively use those to make gains uh, on the battlefield. Uh, it's really important for Ukrainian morale to show that they can uh, make these steady gains against Russia on multiple uh, fronts. Uh, and it's really important because now Ukraine has a chance to, to shift the, the battlefield much eastward and actually begin to attempt offensives against uh, the areas that that Russia really feels like it needs to uh, justify uh, its entire invasion uh, of Ukraine. Uh, Russia doesn't really have any more territory that can get, give up following its invasion that would not kind of undermine uh, the entire logic and, and purpose uh, for the invasion uh, and allow uh, the Kremlin to, to justify the whole thing to, to the Russian people. So now for the Ukrainians, uh, they have a very large task ahead of them of trying to make additional gains, particularly in this environment where the West is saying that, hey, you know, that's not that's not possible. Uh, the, the, the Russians are going to fortify, dig in. They're right. They're mobilizing their, their reinforcements uh, in, in Russia. And so Ukraine really thinks that they have a window now to try to continue offensive operations before the narrative really sets in that that U- Ukraine should seek negotiations with Russia, that uh, Ukraine is not capable of taking a- additional ground, uh, etc. And so I think that now it's important for Ukraine to, to utilize the window that it still has before these Russian troops get there uh, to really break that narrative and to severely undermine the popularity of the war in Russia. But that's going to be really hard for Ukrainian forces uh, uh, to do. Matt, you mentioned something about how this is playing in Russia. We know that Russia has a completely different narrative of this war at home than does Ukraine, NATO, or many other countries. How has Russia framed the retreat to its own population? And other than massively bombing Ukraine, which it started to do almost immediately after leaving Kherson, what is Moscow's strategy moving forward? Yeah, it's it's a great 
question because it really is a fascinating subject. Uh, I think one of the first things I would touch on is just the the, the political theatrics of how the uh, how the retreat actually took place. Basically, uh, President Putin was not involved in the de- decision making at all. Basically, the the recently designated commander uh, in charge of the whole uh, special military operation, as it's called, asked the defense minister Shaigu to allow. Uh, the retreat uh, from Kherson. Basically, this commander recommended it, and then Shaigu took his recommendation and ordered him to to do so. So, right, it was it was a very clear attempt to absolve uh, President Putin from any of this decision, which was really unpopular uh, in Russia. It led to more talks and confusion about if Russia was winning the war. I mean, is this really what we what we signed up for? More withdrawals from Ukraine. It even drew a lot of ire from, you know, pro-Kremlin propagandists. Uh, one TV show host uh, even had a, a moment on television where he goes, hold on, I don't know if, I mean, am I criminally liable no matter what I do? Because if I, if I you know, uh, support or, or, or complement the decision to withdraw from Kherson, uh, then I'm essentially calling for the uh, destruction of the territorial integrity of Russia, right? Because Russia claimed to have annexed uh, the, this area of of the Kherson region that it's now withdrawing from. So I'm I'm criminally liable if I support the decision. Uh, on the other hand, if I criticize the Russian military's decision uh, to to withdraw, then I'm discrediting the armed forces of Russia. So I mean, it just kind of shows the the mental and political gymnastics that that even right the propagandists have to go through to to figure out how how to frame. Uh, these kinds of things, but in, in general, it's it's led to a lot of worry because now, as I said, Russia is really only down to the territories that it, it really must hold for this entire invasion to be worth it for Russia. So, how does Russia structure its future strategy based off of that? Basically, it wants to try to make things as low cost for Russia as possible, play defense, uh, and allow the Ukrainians to uh, exhaust themselves. Uh, making preemptive uh, offensive attempts uh, and things like that, while Russia continues its long-standing campaign to degrade Ukraine's civilian infrastructure. Right, we just saw the most recent example of that uh, just days ago with this mass rocket attack uh, on Ukraine that that damaged more critical infrastructure in Ukraine, led to widespread widespread electricity outages. This is the strategy that this Russian commander, uh, Surovikin, had successfully pursued in Syria, uh, and it it appears that Russia is leaning further and further into that strategy uh, going into the winter, hoping that it can break the Ukrainians' uh, political will to resist uh, if it can really cause things to reach a crisis point, right? For example, the city of Kiev has had to make emergency plans for essentially the evacuation of the city if all electricity comes off in the middle of winter. The thing is, is I'm I'm rather skeptical that that whole strategy uh, of Russia breaking the Ukrainians or or, or the West's political will uh, is going to work because, uh, you know, with regards to Ukraine, Ukrainians would rather flee westward, uh, flee into the European Union than right pressure their government to make concessions to Russia. And if we talk about the West, right, the West has to get through a, a very difficult heating season winter. Uh, but once that's over, a lot of Russia's leverage will will be gone. So it would be a little bit strange for the Europeans all of a sudden become more conciliatory towards Russia at precisely the time when when their their leverage is actually growing. So I, I think that Russia is going to to lean into this this strategy that we've seen recently. But I, I'm I'm skeptical that it's necessarily going to work. And so I think the most likely scenario is that we're going to see the war kind of grind on into next year. Um, I think a lot will depend on whether or not Ukraine can 
successfully conduct another offensive due southward um, in, in the coming weeks and months towards the Black Sea coast. But uh, otherwise, I think the, the most likely scenario is we just see the war kind of grind on uh, along relatively stable lines and artillery duels uh, for, for at least the beginning of next year. Russia's leaning into the strategy. Ukraine, you've sort of pointed out, can't win the war, at least right now. So, I mean, are, in the end, are we looking at Ukraine ceding some of this land that Russia has taken? I mean, is that too far down the line? Yeah, I, I think that, right, the Ukrainians certainly w aren't prepared to talk about it that way and that they have no reason to, right? In the right. Ukrainians' mind, if Russia's negotiating position is that Ukraine must cede all of the territory that Russia currently militarily occupies to Russia, right, which is essentially a maximalist position calling for Ukraine's capitulation, then Ukraine is is only rational to respond with an you know an ultimatum and a a, a very maximalist position of of its own, which is that right Ukraine will militarily reseize uh, all of its territory, including all of all of Crimea and the Donbas, right? Uh, unless, of course, Russia is willing to return to the negotiating table um, and 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 give up uh, other other pieces of Ukraine. But the Russians have shown no willingness to give up the pieces of Ukraine that they occupy in any negotiation. So, right, the the, the Ukrainian strategy is going to be to uh, right hold what they can and weaken Russia militarily and, until Russia changes its negotiating position. And if Russia doesn't, then, you know, the Ukrainians are, are going to dig in and this is going to be a, a long time frozen conflict and the Ukrainians are going to hope for uh, political change in, in Russia, right? That's what Zelensky's recent statement, you know, a couple months ago about how, right, Ukraine will negotiate with another Russian president is alluding to this idea that the Ukrainians are skeptical that Russia's political system will be able to withstand the likely chaotic nature of, of Putin's eventual uh, succession process. Uh, and right, they're going to put their eggs in, 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 in the basket of that process uh, going poorly or combined with long-term sanction pressure on Russia that Russia will eventually right withdraw from Ukraine, uh, just, just like the Soviet Union, I should say, you know, had to withdraw from Afghanistan, just like right other great powers, the United States have had to withdraw from, from, from wars. Uh, so, I mean, they, they continue to think that uh, Russia withdrawing from their country uh, is possible. Uh, albeit unlikely, but possible, either in the short term or in, in the very long term. Matthew Orr is Eurasian analyst with RAIN, the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. Matthew Orr's analyses appear in RAIN Worldview, the risk intelligence app for professionals, and in our consumer publication, which offers objective geopolitical analysis and intelligence covering the global landscape. You can find out more about RAIN Worldview and RAIN's risk assistance at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.